Titus chapter 3. We're going to finish the book of Titus. And it's been a great journey. It's just a short, a short book. And as I had mentioned previously, the, the book of Titus is, um, is, is a book of encouragement, just like First and Second Timothy was to a young pastor that was uh, 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 pastoring a church uh, as, a, as a new pastor. And Paul was encouraging him in many different areas, just like he encouraged Timothy, encouraged Timothy and Titus both to, to, to live as examples that others can follow. He encouraged them to stand against false teaching. He encouraged them to kick out the false teachers from the church. He encouraged uh, Timothy and Titus both to exhort the people of God to live holy lives and to be examples. And, and so that's kind of where we're concluding in the book of Titus. It's this last chapter, we're going to look at 15 verses, but the last three or four verses are his final greetings. But we're going to really focus on verses 1 through 8. And verses 1 through 8, there's basically a flow here where Paul is telling Titus, I want you to remind the people, I want you to remind the people that they need to live good works. That they need to live godly lives in, a, in this world. That they need to be careful to submit to authority, to be gentle, to not to not slander people, to be patient and humble and kind. And then, and then after that exhortation, he then, then he goes into this section of Scripture that we're going to look at where he just basically lays out the, the gospel message and says, this is why, because of this, because you used to be this way like the world is, and now, because of Jesus, you're a new creation. Because of that, this is the motivation behind why we have good works, why we live godly lives. And so as, as I mentioned, I think I was the one who introduced uh, the study on Titus. And I said that we wanted to look through the lens of evangelism, right? We wanted to look through, as we study Titus, how can we be effective in reaching the world for Jesus? How can we be effective in reaching a lost world? Isn't that, isn't that the goal of Christianity? Isn't that why we're here? To, to live lives that honor God, glorify His name, and that will be... A, a, a reflection of who he is to a lost and a dying world. And that when they would see credible witnesses of what the power of God can do, that it piques their interest and they see that and their hearts are moved. And, and it convicts them and they see their own sinfulness and they recognize their need for a savior. And that's, that's the heart of Christianity. This is why we're here. Week in and week out. We're not here week in and week out just to fill the seats so we can say we came to church and appease God. And made our conscience feel good. We could, we can do that in other ways. But we gather here as a family of God so that we can worship together, exalt and glorify God. And then so that we can be equipped through the teaching of God's word to be matured in the faith so that we can leave these doors and be effective witnesses. And so that's the lens with which we've been looking through Titus. How can we be effective? Now, specifically with this ending, there's a focus on on the outside culture, on submitting to governing authorities. And, 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 and this, would have been, this, this would have been a time when it would have not been popular to be a Christian in, in their culture. You know, there was a lot of persecution going on, as we know, in the early church. And so it would have been easy for the Christians to be hostile towards the people they were called to reach. It would be easy for them to not want to have anything to do with their bosses who were making it difficult for them to work and earn a living because they were persecuting them because they were Christians. So it would be easy to not want to submit to governing authorities. The, you know, the, the, the culture and the climate of their, of their day was difficult for the Christian. And so this is what we live in. Not to that extreme where we, we can experience physical persecution like they would have experienced, but our culture is crazy. You guys know that with me? Our world is on fire right now. It's crazy. And anything that you think would have been a, not a possibility for sin and a type of sin, it just, it just continues to surprise it day after, day after day, year, month after month, year after year. There's new, people are inventing new ways to dishonor God with their life. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable to see what's going on. And so to be a Christian in that type of culture, in that type of world, can be difficult because we carry a message. We are, we are the carriers of a, of a message that is not inclusive. Did anybody hear Bernie Sanders recently? 
he was doing an interview with a person that was up for a cabinet position. And he looked at the guy, and in his questioning, he said, I read an article that you wrote, so this, this guy wrote, this is Bernie Sanders talking, and in that article for this, uh, for Wheaton College, I think it was, you were saying that basically Jesus is the only way, and that all others are condemned. And so Bernie Sanders looked at him and said, uh, do you believe that? Do you believe that Muslims and Jews and any other religion, if they don't believe in Jesus, are condemned to hell? He's, this is his line of questioning to somebody for a cabinet position. He's discriminating against him because of his religious beliefs. That's what he was doing. He was, he was pressing on him, basically trying to say, this guy is disqualified for a cabinet position because he believes in Jesus because he's a Christian. And so the guy gave him the same answer and over and over again. He said, Mr. Sanders, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Like, duh. <laughs> I mean, and I, I, I was like, man, I wish I was that guy right now. I know everything that I would say. You know, like, I would want to look at Bernie Sanders and say, don't you know that every religion believes they're the only religion? Right? Right? right. right? So, so would you demonstrate, would you, would you be opposed to them if there was a Muslim Right now, sitting in my seat, would you oppose me? Because I believe that you're an infidel. <laughs> so that's the culture that we, that we live in right now. And so it's difficult for us to have a, 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 to not walk in fear, to not be intimidated, to not feel like that if we open our mouth and we're bold for the, for our faith, that we're not going to get condemned or we're not going to get ridiculed, made fun of, or, or not given that, that promotion that we were promised because of our faith. And, and it's difficult to give answers to people whenever they say, well, well, I, I, I know that you, your, your Bible says this is not a right lifestyle, but this is how I feel. This is what I believe. This is who I am. How, how can you argue with that? And that, it's challenging times. And so I just want to say this, that our Christ life, our Christ like life matters. How we respond. To opposition matters. And this is what Titus is trying to say. Paul's trying to say to Titus to encourage the church. The way you live matters. You may not be able to win the argument with people. You, you know, when somebody is in the darkness and you try to argue with them, you're probably not going to be able to win the argument. Your job there is just to plant the seed and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. And so we just have to focus on being kind, being gentle, being patient. Submitting to authorities that, 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 that are wrong and abusive and honoring them anyway. So this is what, this is the encouragement that we're going to see here. So I, I just, what, what I want to do is I just want to read Titus 3, 1 through 15. I'm going to read all the verses of the chapter and then we're going to go back and just kind of dissect the first eight verses. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of our works, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to, to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who serves up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, 
for I had decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer. I wonder why I needed a lawyer. Maybe because he was in jail. Send that lawyer. Get me out. And Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. So, again, here's the flow. He gives, he says, remind them to do these things, to respond in these types of ways. And then he gives the motivation behind why we live and, 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 and demonstrate good works. It's because the gospel has changed us. And, and so what, 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 what I'd like to do is I would like to just talk about the gospel message first and get to the motivation behind why we live good works, why, why our life has changed. And then I want to look at three practical points that he brings out of things that we need to cultivate in, in our life that will demonstrate Christ, a Christ-like life in a crazy culture. And so let's, 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 back, let's go back, Chuck, to that text um, starting in verse 3. So Titus 3 starting in, in, in verse 3. So this is, this is why he's saying, this is the motivation. It says, for we ourselves. Now, why is he saying we ourselves? Because he's pointing to, before that, he's telling them, this is how you're to live. You're to submit to governing authorities. The authorities are trying to kill you in their case. They're really trying to persecute you. Submit to them. Be kind. Don't slander. Be gentle. Be humble. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by others and hating one another. Can you, can you, can you imagine what, how they would have felt? Wait a minute. You're telling me? I used to be like these people. Don't you think Christian, us as Christians, we can sometimes think that about ourselves and people that aren't saved. You mean I was really like that? Sometimes I think the, 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 the distance from our past life and who we are now can sometimes mess up our memory. And we can forget, wait a minute, that person that I really am struggling to be around because of their lifestyle. Man, I, I may not be living that specific lifestyle. But I was as rebellious as they were doing what I wanted to do. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. This is who we are apart from Christ. What does it look like to be a non-Christian? Foolish. Disobedient. Led astray. What, what are we as non-Christians? Slaves. We're slaves to sin. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. We pass our days in malice and, and envy. Hated by others. And hating one another. And then you have the, the gospel message comes in. In verse 4. But God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Isn't that good news? Isn't, that's what the gospel is. We were these things. We were disobedient. We were sinful. We wanted nothing to do with God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Could not save ourselves. But God, who saves people? God, can we save ourselves? The the, the next verse says it. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Salvation is not because of our good works. God doesn't look at you and say, you obey the Ten Commandments, and you live a righteous life, and you attend church, and you read the Bible, and you do all of those things, and then I'll decide whether or not you are good enough to be in my family. And that, that's, what, that's what false religion puts out there. It's a works. False religious systems are works-based systems. You live a life to appease a holy God, and if he decides, he'll let you in, he'll let you in. Christianity flips all of that on its head and says there's nothing you can do except surrender by faith. Is say yes by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only thing you, you can do. But no amount of good works earns you favor with God. It's apart from good works. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Regeneration and renewal. It means that we are born again. We are regenerated. We are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We once were old. We once were 
dead and passed away. And then we are made brand new in Jesus Christ. We are, we are no longer what we used to be. We're completely different. Sometimes you think, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I'm completely different. Because I'm still struggling with some, some temptations and sins. No, no. Who you are on the inside is completely different. It's like your DNA has changed. You were given a heart transplant. Your, your desires were changed. And now it's taken your body and your flesh and your mind to catch up to those new desires. That's called sanctification. That's called the process of maturing in faith. So those of you who are new Christians here tonight or, or, or you've just been a Christian for a while and you're still struggling with some, some sins that you have ha- are having a hard time let, letting go of, you need to re- remember that if you are in Christ, you are in Christ. And that if you have desires in your heart, that, that hate those areas that you're struggling in, that is a reflection of the fact that your heart belongs to God. I think some, sometimes people don't realize that. You know, if you're not a Christian and you have sin in your life, well, actually, there's no category for that. If you're a non-Christian, what is sin? There is no category for sin except for the big ones like murder and adultery and stealing and lying. Just the big ones. They would categorize that. Yeah, that's probably wrong. Adultery, not so much now in our culture. Lying, maybe that can be justified because it was for a good cause. <laughs> like, but, but, but killing people, okay, we can at least agree on the fact that murder's wrong, except for the unborn, <laughs> right? I mean, it, I mean, like, so there's no category for sin. So if, if in your heart you don't want to do an area that you're struggling, you're struggling in, in, that you're struggling in, in an area, it's, the struggle is proof that the Spirit of God is working in your life, and that's good news. The good news is that you are struggling, you hate it, you don't want to walk in that sin. So what you need to do is, if you have an area you're really struggling in, get help. Get help. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. No, get help. Find a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Find a, a pastor that can help walk you through, hold you accountable, and help you walk out the new desires in your heart to be free from that area that you're struggling in. So this regeneration, though, it means you're brand new. You are, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All has been made new. So this is what Paul is appealing to Titus to appeal to the church. This is who you are. And so because of this, devote yourself to good works. This is who you are. This is, I'm a buffkin. This is what buffkins do. Right? So I'm training my kids. This is who Buffkins are. This is their DNA. You know, your family, you have certain values and things that you value and, and certain, certain meals that you like to eat and certain traditions that you have. And when you're raising your kids, you let them know this is what the Fries do. This is what, this is what the Buffkins do, the Noels do. This is what we do as a family. That's the same thing as, as, as a family of God. This is who I am. It's called position. And practice. Because of who I am, this is how I live. And this is what Titus is trying to say here. This is what Paul is saying to Titus here. He said this, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Who's the Savior? Where does salvation come from? Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. It's the only way... For salvation. Verse 7. 7, 7, yeah. So, so, that being justified by His grace. That means we are right before God. We are justified before God by His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, because we are justified, we stand because of His grace justified. We are fully righteous. That means we have hope of eternal life. That means our Home is not earth. Our citizenship is in heaven and we have hope. That's why when a Christian dies, it's not a, it's not a time of mourning. It's a time of celebration because they have graduated and they have moved on to heaven where we're headed one day, right? The hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, who are righteous, who have a new nature, might devote themselves to good Works. You see the flow there? This, this is what Christianity is. We're changed. 
and we have a new life in Christ and we live differently. Any other system of belief that doesn't come at it that way or anything that you can hear where someone says, well, it doesn't really matter how you live. That's baloney. It really is baloney. It's like I talk with my kids and, and they say they, they, they respect what I say and they're listening. I'm like, no, you're, you're not listening because you're not doing what I said to do. You, you say you understand, but you're not doing it. So it means you're really not changed. You heard what I said. How many times our kids hear what we say? But they don't, they don't, it's not in their heart. They haven't really been changed. So sometimes we have to change them. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta change their mind for them. Help them to understand. You know, one of the things that we were not able to do with, with Reagan, because she was in foster care, was corporal punishment. And so this was the day where her life changed. It's good. Well, we didn't officially do anything yet, but, but it is a new life for her. She's gonna experience something that, that we, we haven't been able to test that with her yet. So she's in the testing pattern officially as of right now. So sometimes that's what happens with children. But, but that's, you know, saying that, saying that you really believe something and you really have something in your heart, but your life isn't changed by it, then you really, it's really not true. If you say you love your wife, but you're mean to her. You say you love your wife, but you're mean to her. Or vice versa, your husband. It's not true. Let your actions line up with what you say you really are. So, so, so that's that balance. The works don't save us. The works don't save us. And just like I could be nice to a woman, all that I want to be, that doesn't make her my wife. I had to positionally become her wife at an altar with a preacher, and I positionally, we positionally became one. That's set in stone. So because of that, then I love her graciously. It's an overflow of my heart. You guys follow me? Kind of different ways of looking at it. Good works matter. Because good works testify of what the power of God can do. That's what, listen, that is what is so powerful about a body of Christ that, that leaves the gathering of the saints and goes out into our crazy culture. It's that the world looks at people that don't have it all together. Maybe they're, maybe your loved one's struggling with cancer or, or you, you got, you, you, you've lost your job and you're, you're overwhelmed with, with, with life. But the world that's crazy, doesn't believe in God, they look at you and they think, man, something's different. Something's different. That is powerful in our culture, in our, in our world, in our sphere of influence. So let, let's look at the three practical things that we look back. And I, I've taken a little bit long in this introduction, so we're kind of, we'll kind of go through these a, a little quicker, possibly. <laughs> um, but let's go back to the first two verses. So now we've gotten to the motivation, right? We've gotten to the motivation for right living. Because we've been changed, because we're new in Christ. Now let's look at those those first two verses of uh, Titus. And just a little side note, I, I didn't use this scripture, but if you go to Ephesians chapter two, which we're not going to go to now, but if you when, when when you go home, look at Ephesians two one through ten. It is a mirror image of what we just read right there in Titus three uh, three through eight. It's a mirror image. It's a mirror image. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy. So it's, it just go in and read through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And then, well, Chuck, just put it up. I, and what well, technically, let's, let's put up. It says you were dead, trespasses and sins, in which, which you once walked. That's what we were saying there in Titus. You once lived in passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, great love. He loved us even when we were dead. He saved us by grace. Let's, let's, let's go to the next section there. Raised us up, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And look what it says there. It says, verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one would boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're created in Christ Jesus, brand new, so that we can demonstrate who God is to the world for good works. So if anyone ever tries to tell you that good works don't matter, they're not reading the Bible. All right. So now let's look at the three practical areas I think are important for us to look at here. I think will be some practical encouragement for us. So let's go back to Titus 3, 1 through 2. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work. So the first thing I see in, the, in those verses there, in their specific context, is that they would have, just like we said, we lived in a crazy culture. 
would have worked for people that would have made it difficult for them to earn a living because of their Christian faith. They would have been taken advantage of because of their faith. And it would have been difficult for them to submit to governing authorities, to authorities and to bosses. And so in our context, I, I, I just think one area that we need to cultivate that will help us to impact our world for Jesus is, is, is this, is, a, is that we need to have a submissive attitude towards those in authority. A submissive attitude towards those in authority. Paul is reminding the early church Christians who lived in a hostile culture that the way in which they respect and submit to God-ordained authorities demonstrates Christ-like character. And many, many people struggle with their attitude towards those in authority. And, and, and I, I just want to say this, this specifically in the area of who you work for in this culture. You know, I remember working for Safeguard uh, here in Homa. It's Acadian now, but I worked there for almost nine years prior to coming to work here at Living Word. And I had a, I had a boss that was difficult to work for, my immediate manager, and it was challenging. And, and it was difficult for me, to, for me to be patient. It was difficult at times to submit to his authority. And, and so, but one of, the, one of the things that demonstrates who you are in Christ. So one of the things that demonstrates that you really are changed is that you submit differently and respond differently to your authority, those that are over you in the world, differently than your coworkers do, different than other people do. You know how when you're on your job and everyone's gossiping about the boss, talking bad about what they do, and, and I can't believe they did this or said this. I can't believe they're making us do this. I can't believe they're, they're asking us to go in this direction. This is, it's totally wrong. It's all wrong. And, and then the boss walks up and everyone's like, Psh. you know, basically just don't, doesn't believe anything that the boss is saying, stabbing him in the back, talking bad about him or her. And that's the attitude that most people have about those that are in authority that, is, that are, are over them. That should not be so of us. And this is what Paul was telling Titus. Listen, and in their context, he's telling them, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy to work for a boss that is a non-Christian. But I'm telling you, this will be one of the ways, he's trying to say, that, that will shine the light of Jesus Christ. These are good works that will make it, that will make the gospel look more beautiful. That you will submit in spite of wrong behavior on their part. Who's, who's ever been mistreated by somebody in authority that you work for? Who's ever disagreed with the decision that they've made? I mean, we, we've all been there. I've told this story. It's been a couple of years, but I remember one time I was, this is when I was um, 19, I think. I was working at a TV station in Baton Rouge. I was in Bible college in Baton Rouge, and so I would work part-time at a TV station overnight. And uh, the boss was a Christian, but he, he struggled a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I remember I, I, I told him previously, I said, uh, I want to schedule this time off because I'm inviting my dad for Father's Day weekend on Saturday. Okay, no, that, that, that is not true because LSU Tigers don't play on Father's Day. <laughs> so, but it was an LSU Tigers game. But it was, I was inviting my father to go to an LSU Tigers game. Oh, it was against Alabama at Tiger Stadium. Go Tigers. And uh, I bought the tickets. And, well, I asked him first, then I bought the tickets. And then the week of the game, he says, oh, by the way, you have to work that night. So what did Ben Bufkin do, 19-year-old Ben Bufkin do? Well, 19-year-old <laughs> well, Ben Bufkin was mad. So 19-year-old, immature, rebellious Ben Bufkin wrote a letter to the general manager of the TV station and slid it under his desk, I mean, under his door. And uh, I got to go to the game. And, and so you're thinking, well, I was right. <laughs> he was wrong. Well, he might have been wrong, but I was wrong. I was wrong, too, because my heart wasn't right in it. And so later I went and apologized to him because I threw him under the bus. I threw my boss. You don't don't throw your boss under the bus. Literally, I threw him under the bus and he came back and, and he was upset at me because he was going to go to the game. I found out and he had to work that night. There's nobody else to work. And he had to work. And so, and I know that the fleshly side of us, even as Christians, we say, ha ha, gotcha. You were trying. Because that, even as Christians, we can think like the world. We can think like that. But that's not, the, and so Paul is trying to tell Titus, look, it's going to be difficult at times. But the way we demonstrate to the world, even our, 
our bosses and aren't godly, that, that, that Christianity is real and true, is to be submissive to them and respectful, respect their authority. Romans 13, 1, 1 through 7 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from who? From God. Even the ones you think that should not be in authority. I know that's hard for our brains to process. Everyone in authority is there because God has allowed it. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So when you resist and you rebel against people that God's placed in authority, who are you rebelling against? God. And when you submit to authorities in your life, who are you, who are you submitting to? God. You're honoring God. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will, you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, the specific context of this section is, is speaking also of, of, law, of law enforcement, those that are called to hold up laws in the land. But if you do wrong, be afraid. They're coming knocking at your door. They're coming to get you. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Hallelujah. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. And that is so true. They attend to it very well. The authority of the IRS, they attend to those taxes. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. When we honor and respect those in positions of authority, we are really honoring God. And the opposite of this is true as well. Let's go to the next section there in Titus. It says, so remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. And secondly, it says this. To speak evil of no one. And to avoid quarreling. To speak evil of no one. So there's two issues here connecting with our tongue. So the second way that we demonstrate by our life that we belong to Christ is that we have, number two, a tongue that has restraint. A tongue that has restraint. You know our words are powerful. The way we talk is, is significant. You know, you demonstrate who you are by what you talk about. You want to you, you know what someone values? What they enjoy doing, hang around them for a little while. If you want to know what I value, you know, there's things in my life that I, I value and I have them in certain categories. You know, first of all, it's God. God's number one in my life. And then my wife and then my children. And then the ministry and the church and what God's called me to do. And then my friends, my extended friends and family. And then golf. I was trying to make sure I got everything first before golf. <laughs> Let me go get down the list there. I was like, I don't want to mess this up here. Friends and family. Church, yeah, church before golf. But like you hang around me, you hang around me a little bit, a little bit of time, you realize I really love golf. I like to watch it, like to play it. Now look, I probably play golf once every couple months, uh, once every, sometimes sooner, quicker, but most of the time every couple months. Cause I'm just busy. Got lots of things going on and in my life. But if I don't get to play, I like to watch it. You know, this week is the U.S. Open golf tournament in Aaron Hills, uh, the Aaron Hills Golf Course in Wisconsin. You hang around me long enough, I'm going to talk to you about the golf tournament. What comes out of my mouth, why are you shaking your head, brother? Do you, do you, don't talk to you about Okay, all right, all right. I'm like, he's shaking his head, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out, so I shouldn't like golf? I'm sorry, <laughs> forgive me. Okay, so you just don't like golf. Okay, all right, good. But there's something that you liked. Tell me what you like. Basketball, basketball, football, baseball. Sports, sports. I'm right up there with you. Go Warriors, right? Go Warriors won the title. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> but if you hang around me long enough, you know what, what, what I enjoy and what I like. And hopefully, I talk more about God and more about my family and more about what God's called me to do than I do any of those other things. But the principle is true. Your tongue and what we talk about, what we say is a reflection of who we are. Our words are a, a window to our heart, to how we really think and feel. And we must show restraint in our communication. We must learn to guard our tongue. 
Now, specific context. Titus, crazy culture, trying to tell the church, be kind to people. Speak evil of no one. Would it have been easy to speak evil of the world that's trying to persecute them? Would it be easy to be hateful towards them? To quarrel with them? Titus said there, speak evil of no one and don't quarrel. It'd be easy to want to fight back, push back in that context. The same is true for us. It would be easy for us to want to fight against these ideologies and these worldviews with with people that don't love God. Push back, quarrel, fight against that. Speak evil of them. We can't do that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to speak with love, to not speak evil. You know, it's easy to look at people who live crazy lifestyles and to ridicule them. How, how, How often do we see that happen in Christians' lives? You hear someone say something slanderous about someone who doesn't know Jesus and is living a lifestyle that's ungodly. And they say something that's slanderous and rude and disrespectful. And we shouldn't do that. They're living how they're living because that's who they are. We're who we are because God's changed us. And because God's changed, changed us, we should have love and compassion for them and realize that they're in bondage just like we used to be in bondage. We must show restraint in our communication about those whose lifestyle we disagree with. We may disagree with someone's lifestyle, but it doesn't mean we've got to be mean to them. And how are we going to reach them? You know, and, and again, it's that, it's, it's, that, it's that balance that we always have to have in our life as Christians, that, that we, we, we hold up the, the standard of truth. Sin is sin. This is wrong. This lifestyle is sinful. But I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to mock you and make fun of you because you're living a crazy lifestyle. I'm going to love you and tell you it's wrong. And of course, of course, we get misinterpreted. And because we tell them it's wrong, then they say that we hate them. Let them say that. That's fine. We hold up the truth. They can say that we hate them because we hold up the truth. But don't let them say that we hate them because we really are hateful. Don't let them say that we hate them because we, we, we are not nice to them and we make fun of them and we speak wrong of them let us not do that and that's what paul is trying to encourage titus to tell the church and that's what i want to encourage us look people are crazy (laughs) our world is is messed up right now and it would be easy for us to kind of get on our high horse of holiness and look down on people and push ourselves away from them but we can't do it because those people are, are are our mission field Those people are our mission field. If we are going to make an impact in the lives of those who are lost, our speech, our speech will play a major role. We're going to make an impact. And how is it going to, how are we going to make an impact? It's being kind, being gentle, being forgiving with our speech, letting them know that we love them, that we're there for them. And, and, and and again, it's not, it's not, it's not always easy. You know, I just was in a conversation with a, a couple just, um, Sunday or Monday night, they came over and they had to deal with the family issue where there was an individual that was living a lifestyle that they disagreed with. And they stood up and said, we were not, we're not going to participate in this because we, we, we believe that it's wrong. But they, they affirmed the person, said that they loved him and that they, 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 they wanted to be there for him. But, but, there, but now, not only is that guy wanting nothing to do with them, but their friends and their family are isolating them. And saying, you're, you're, you're unchristian. You're ungodly because you're doing that. And it's totally not the case. They're being labeled that because they took a stand for what is right. And so I asked them, well, how was, you know, we, 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 we talked about how they were responding to this brother and to the, and to the family. And they're being loving. And they're being kind. And they're being gentle and forgiving. But, but they simply stood up for what was right. And they were right for that. So we're going to get... We're going to get that label, and that's fine, because that's what it means to be a Christian, to get mislabeled, get misrepresented. But don't get labeled wrongly. James chapter 5, excuse me, James 3, just in conclusion for, for this point here, it says about the tongue, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. 
Wow. For every kind of beast and bird of of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Wow. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so that should not be true of us. What comes out of our mouth should be a reflection of who we are in our heart in Christ Jesus. Psalm, lastly, Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Amen. Thirdly, in conclusion here, this, this last point here that Let's go back to Titus uh, 3 there. It says this, Titus 3, 1 1 and 2. So he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work. Don't speak evil of those that are in the outside. Avoid quarreling. And he says this, be gentle and show perfect courtesy or respect toward all people. So the third thing that I thought of is this, is that we need to have a gentle and humble demeanor. And when I thought about this, I thought about that text, I just thought about how angry everybody is in our world. There's not many humble and gentle people that you run into. We live in an angry world. People are are angry at Walmart. They're angry. They're angry because I got to wait an extra few minutes in line because there's only five cash registers open that of, of the 25. And I don't want to go to the self-checkout. So they're angry. Angry at Walmart. Angry at Walmart because there's nobody there to help. And you ask somebody for help and I'm on break. I can't help you. <laughs> Has anybody ever experienced that? Angry at Walmart. Angry in traffic. Everybody's angry. Angry, I mean, I'm telling you, I've gotten so many looks in traffic. Rightfully so, probably. Just angry, ready, just on the edge, ready to flip out. Angry in the restaurant. Because the food wasn't just right. Steak wasn't cooked just right. Service was a little slow. Angry, angry, angry. Angry on Facebook. Anybody ever seen that? It's like everybody's angry. Everybody has a platform that they're mad about something. Somebody said something, did something, angry. Wanting to vent something on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Angry at everybody. That's all. Everybody's angry. It, it just feels like everybody's right on the edge. And you, it just takes a little bit more to push them over the edge and they're going to let you have it. They're going to curse you out. They're going to yell at you. They're going to be rude to you. Do you sense that with me? And, and, I mean, and you take it to the extreme and you see violence that breaks out. People are angry. They don't know why they're angry. They're angry because they're miserable and they don't know why they're miserable. That's the world. They're angry because they're miserable and they don't know why they're miserable. They don't know why they're lost. They don't know why they don't have a sense of purpose for their life. They don't know why they're not happy even though they have a lot of money. They don't know why they're not happy because they have a nice house and nice cars. Why am I still not content and happy? So they just are angry. And so, how should we be? This is what Paul is telling Titus. We can't get angry at Walmart. Can't get angry on Facebook, in the restaurant, in traffic. I guess I'm, I don't get angry in traffic, but still, I'm going to be held accountable here. I, I will get frustrated. I will talk to people in traffic. <laughs> and I know they're not listening, but I'll talk to them. <laughs> so... That, but, but we can't be that way. We can't be that way. Because that's not who we are. And I, I'm looking for a revival of humble and gentle people that can influence this world. Whenever, we, whenever somebody is angry, a gentle word turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. When somebody that you're dealing with in the culture, in the world, that's angry, they're mad at life, they're mad at you, and you come with a soft word, a gentle answer. How is that? Why is that? It's because you're different. It's because you're changed. And what does that do? And it shows them something different. Look, I, I, back to, not, not to just talk about my safeguard days, but 
I mean, the job that I did at Safeguard was I was, when I first got hired at Safeguard, uh, I never had any experience running security systems and burglar alarms and cameras and, on, on, and all of that. And so some, one of my friends recommended I go apply. And so I didn't have any experience. So I didn't think I'd get the job. But I walked in the door and the interviewer looked at me. You're just right for the job. He said, because you're pretty small. <laughs> and we need somebody just like you for the summer. Because you're going to be crawling up in all the mattocks. So that's what I did. I was a helper. $8 an hour as a helper crawling in attics in June, July, August in South Louisiana. And I just want to tell you, there were times where I was at a boiling point in a couple of different ways. <laughs> physically and emotionally. Where you just, you're just on the edge because your external circumstances are influ- influencing your, your internal condition. And so I just had plenty of opportunities to get angry and get upset at, at, at people. But there, but, but by God's grace, it wasn't perfect, but by God's grace, the consistent pattern of my life around the co-workers I work with at Safeguard was that I demonstrated patience. Not always. <laughs> I had to apologize at times. I remember when I moved up from helper to installer and I had helpers that worked under me and they were a little slower than they should be. It was frustrating. I would some, some you can't imagine this, but I, I would kind of get upset with them and try to motivate them and had to go back and apologize. And that in and of itself reflects who Christ is. But we, we cannot be like the world and be angry. As believers, our example is Christ. And who was Christ? He was gentle. He was humble. Philippians 2, 1 through 8 shows us this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's really great, right? So this is why, this, he's, this again, we're being told from Scripture, this is how we are to live. But what is our example? What's the motivation? Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. How are you going to do all those things? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation, right? So you've been given a new mind. So this mind is in you because of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He goes on to say that because of that, God has exalted him highly above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he's our example. And so I just want to encourage us all that we have a great mission field in the world. We have great opportunities to reach people for Christ. And I just want to tell you that the way you're going to do it, the way you're going to reach the world for Jesus and your sphere of influence is to be different than they are. Be different than they are in how you submit to authority. Be different than they are in how you talk, in what you say. Be different than they are in how you respond in situations that would normally cause you to be angry. Respond with patience and gentleness and let your lifestyle be the witness that will pave the way for you to use your speech to preach the words of the gospel. So your lifestyle paves the way for the gospel to be able to come to where you open your mouth. Because you have to open your mouth. You got You know, some, sometimes you may be the one that's planting seed by your lifestyle. But the next Christian is going to be the one that has to open their mouth. But eventually in your life, you're going to have to op- open your mouth to somebody to preach the gospel. Because people have to hear. They see... But they have to hear. The gospel is proclaimed. Amen. It's proclaimed through your life. It's proclaimed through our message. Amen. Let's just take a moment. Won't you stand with me? And let's pray for the lost. Let's pray for those that don't know Jesus in our culture. Those that don't know Jesus in our sphere of influence. How, how many of you know somebody right now in your life that you're in personal contact with on a regular basis, on a regular basis that does not know Jesus? 
Yeah, that's our mission field. So let's, let's pray for them. Lord, we take this moment. God, we have just been encouraged by your word about what our life looks like as a new creation in Christ. God, that you've given us a new heart and new desires and you've changed us and we no longer live for ourselves, but we want to live for you, for your glory, the glory of your name. You've changed the way we think, the way we talk, the way we live, the way we respond to negative circumstances and all glory to you for that. And God, I pray that because of that, Lord, that the people that are in our life that don't know you, that we've been praying for, God, I pray that you would use us in the way that we live to demonstrate that Christianity is credible, that it's the real deal, that lives are really changed, that people really are true and that they're they're not hypocrites. Not all Christians are hypocrites. So let them see that, that in our lives, we are genuine, credible witnesses to the power of the gospel to transform a life from the inside out, that people really do live what they believe and, and live like Jesus. Well, let, let us demonstrate that to people. And let us also, Lord, when the time is right, when it's appropriate, open our mouth and declare your wonderful works and your wonderful mercy and love for them. Help us to do that. And God, I pray for each one that is lost. I pray that you would draw them. God, those, Lord, we know that your word says that those that are lost, they're blinded not only by their sinful nature, but they're blinded by the God of this world, Satan. They are doubly blinded. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to break through that blindness. And God, I pray that that blindness would be broken through and that, and that the gospel would shine through and penetrate their hearts and that they would come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of those that we're praying for, Lord, minister to them and use us. God, our desire is to be used for you to spread your word everywhere that we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. You guys are dismissed.